We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. Community meeting. And I wrote a uh, long introduction to our community meeting, connecting the lesson uh, that we just finished with where we go from here. And then I realized when I got to the end, I had way too many words, so I scrapped the whole introduction. You can thank me later. <laughs> so let's jump right in, and we're today we're going to talk about our children. And we're going to talk about our children by zooming way out at first. We're going to start by talking about population decline. <laughs> what does this guy do? Lots of folks are thinking about population decline lately, triggered probably by China announcing that it had reached zero population growth recently. Since the 50s in um, the developing or the developed nations, birth rates have been declining. It takes 2.1 children per woman to maintain zero population growth. And today, two-thirds of the global population lives in a country that is well below 2.1. And the remaining third, because of a lot of factors, are catching up relatively quickly. Uh, there's lots of there are a lot of reasons for this. Uh, the shift from agrarian and manufacturing uh, economies. We live in a much more complex society, an innovation economy now. The financial calculus changes around children. We're going to cross 8 billion people on the planet this year. The UN projects that we will top out somewhere around 9.5 billion, and that'll happen sometime around 2050. Then we'll start a time of global decline uh, to match the already decline that's happening in the developed nations. So that's all very interesting. Uh, population decline. <clears throat> it's going to be particularly interesting because uh, we have measured economic health in our nation, many Western nations, by growth rates. It's going to be very difficult to sustain growth rates with fewer people working. We're going to have to fundamentally rethink that. Also, it's interesting because we've organized our social safety nets around young, healthy, working people funding the safety net until the, the safety net until the day when they need it themselves, which again is going to be hard to sustain over time when we have fewer young and healthy working people. Also, it's interesting because life since the 1970s has become more expensive. Four main costs have outstripped the rise of inflation. So housing, a second automobile, the cost of child care, and the cost of health insurance have all outstripped the, the, the pace of inflation, and wages have stayed with the pace of inflation. So consequently, now, with incomes having stayed at the pace of inflation, those four factors having for 60 years been doing that, we now have created the equivalent of a second salary than we had in 1970s, the second average salary. Also, we have broken down stratified gender roles in the last 50 years, uh, which most people think is a good thing. But those four costs, when mom went to work in a two-parent home, her salary got eaten up immediately by those four costs, well, over 50 years. 
And we haven't yet figured out yet, uh, we haven't figured out yet how to do job sharing, how to do flex time. So traditional gender roles are not changing at the pace of the economic realities. So consequently, when mom went to work, she also still carries the majority of the household responsibilities, the lion's share of homemaking, which has led to uh, a commensurate rise in stress-related disorders for women over these years. And all of these have affected fertility rates, which again is all very interesting in an abstract way, Unless you happen to be a male partner in a two-job a household, in which case that last one is particularly relevant for you. So, But the reason we are discussing population decline as a spiritual community in a spiritual community meeting is that unspoken, usually unspoken, attitudes and values tend to accompany all major cultural trends, including this demographic trend. Here's the thing. These trends are going to affect us. They're going to affect our lives in a very shifting society kind of way. But also in a very personal way, here in our community, they're going to affect us in a core value, how we think the world works kind of way. Demographic currents, as well as all cultural currents, come with ways of thinking and ways of acting. They come with values, propositions. A Pew study uh, came out a few weeks ago exploring the attitudes of American parents, how parents think about their lives and how they think about the lives of their children, what they worry about, what they want for their children, what are the differences between parents who are financially secure and parents who are financially strapped. And the bottom line turns out what I said. Big demographic trends come with values and priorities. Mixed in with fertility rates are beliefs and norms and practices and pressures. In the study, it turns out, financially secure parents worry less about potential dangers that their kids will face. That kind of makes sense. But also, by a pretty wide margin, uh, the parents who are more financially secure find parenting less rewarding. The more economically secure we become, and globally we are becoming more economically secure, the less rewarding we find parenting. Also, the more financially secure parents have different priorities for their children than they had 50 years ago. 88% of the financially secure rate financial success and professional happiness either very or extremely important. Only 20% of the more financially secure parents rate eventual marriage and children as very or extremely important. Distilling out a wide range of questions, the more financially secure we become, the more we tend to prioritize economic factors over family, religion, even politics, believe it or not, but especially children. Move up Maslow's hierarchy of needs and concerns don't go away, they just change. Once we have more resources, our concerns shift to the theme we talked about in the last lesson. What is enough? Are we doing enough 
usually measured in economic terms. Are we working hard enough? Are we ambitious enough? Are we giving enough attention to professional development? And whether the link is causal or correlative with fertility rates, the population decline is traveling hand in hand with a fundamental shift in priorities. Time spent on children is time that is not spent on professional development. It is not spent on the pursuit of whatever enough is. <coughs> the article cites another study, the longest running parental study that there is. It comes from Gallup. And it tells us that birth rates are down, but the desire for the number of children that we would have is not down. There is a gap between how many children we are having and how many children we want to have. Now again, lots of factors. Also again, causal correlation, very hard to figure out. But I don't think that's our primary concern anyway as a spiritual community. Our concern is the unspoken values that travel with these trends. Very few people would say that children are not important. Of course not. Even the theme that you will hear from time to time, I don't want to bring kids into a world that's this messed up, it turns out that's having a very minimal effect on birth rates. Uh, it's not that we have stopped valuing children. It's that we have started valuing other things more than we used to value them. And mostly those other things are economic things. Children are acute and they are cuddly. They have bigger eyes in proportion to their faces and evolution wired our brains to find that endearing and to evoke a protective instinct. Children are wonderful. We feel their wonderfulness in our bones. But also, <laughs> children are demanding. When Denise and I were in the thick of raising kids, we were kind of broke and so... Uh, the rare occasion when we could afford to go out to eat, we did not want to be, want to be near anybody who had kids <laughs> because stretched as thin as we were, one more crying baby, we might just snap. <laughs> so we will feel sympathy for a baby whose ears can't pop when the airplane is going up, but we also think, oh my God, why is that child in my row? child melts down in a grocery store and now if it's our own child uh, we understand if our own child has done that recently we have a little bit of sympathy but if we don't there's an eye roll and oh god be a better parent would you please <laughs> children cost money children take time children cost us focus they cost us bandwidth and children are not interested in the interesting adult things that adults are interested in so children are already a challenge and then we add on top of that already challenge the values that are accompanying this shift in fertility decline. And it's kind of like we're putting the thumb on an already teetering scale. What these studies do is highlight for us and paint a picture of unspoken cultural values. We want children. We value children. But we want other stuff, mostly economic stuff more than we used to. Now, it's a shift that may be related to this fertility decline, which again is all very interesting, but we are not a think tank. We are a church. So what does this have to do with us? Kids are demanding. That's what it has to do with us. 
what will we do about the demanding part of kids? With the growing cultural instincts around us, we can't help but absorb them. And the question will come up, that demanding part of kids, eh, Will we make a decision on the basis of the deeper wisdom, the ancient wisdom? Will we make our decision on the basis of cultural trends? Julie was telling me a story last week. It was one of the early weeks when Joe was doing music and he went a little long. He was still figuring out how much can happen in the time allotted. So he spent extra time with the kids and with the instruments. And Julie said, I was getting kind of bored. It was too long. It was too detailed. We got it. We got it. We sing this. We play that. Let's move on. And then she said, I saw Molly's face. I remember. We got a picture of Molly's face. Molly's about that tall. She was playing the drums, and she was playing them with all of her heart. And she was riveted in what she was learning. You could see her watching Joe. She said, Julie said, I also saw Maria's face as Maria was sitting on the floor with the kids, finding joy in helping them find the rhythm. And she said, ah, there's more going on than I was seeing. There's beauty happening here. There's goodness happening here. I have a similar story. Rivers gets dropped off on Mondays. I take care of him and Miles. And uh, I was making breakfast uh, before I took the boys to school. And Rivers said to me, hey, Grandpa, I'm in the band at church. He plays the cowbells. <laughs> He said, I'm in the band at church, and we're pretty good. <laughs> and I thought, ah, there's a lot more going on that I was seeing. We are inviting our children into community. We are finding ways to include children in community, but more to the point, we are finding ways to not exclude them to not send them off to their segregated place where their hassle factor doesn't bear on us. Really what we're doing is we're following Jesus. Even before the decline in birth rates, even before the correlative or causal value shift, kids were demanding and they distracted adults from doing what adults want to do. And some people brought their kids to Jesus for the blessing. The disciples thought the whole thing was disrupting from the important stuff and tried to shut the whole process down, get the kids back to their classes where they belong. And Jesus said, yeah, don't do that. This kingdom of God thing that I've been talking about, this is it right here. Their emerging lives, our love for them, what happens to us when we become carers for them. This isn't hassle. This is the point. Religion's job, you hear me say all the time, is to practice discernment. And because we practice discernment to see our own blind spots and to see our culture's blind spots and then work together to find ways out of our blindness. That's our job as a spiritual community, to be countercultural to go against the tide. That's why the ancients called us a peculiar people. The thing is, kids are demanding. Kids slow you down. Kids suck up focus, and they suck up attention. They keep us from getting stuff done that we really want to get done. Kids get in the way of me time. New parents, I promise you, you will have to say that along the way. Where did my me time go? <laughs> kids are demanding. Here's the thing, I, I like getting stuff done, I do. 
Now, I'm going to admit this out loud to you, but before I admit this thing out loud to you, I want you to know I know it's bad. I want you to know that this is not a good thing. You don't have to tell me. When I first heard Facebook's motto, move fast and break stuff, I loved it. (laughs) I thought, that's the way I like living. That is so much fun. But fortunately for me, I have Robin. Robin's been in my life for a lot of years. (laughs) And in the early years, when I was more disposed to move fast and break stuff, she would pull me aside quite a few times, actually, and she would tell me a Bible story. In this Bible story, the people of Israel were making their way from Egypt through the wilderness on their way to Canaan, and it took a long, long time because not only were they getting out of slavery, but they were also getting the slavery excised out of them. And the story she would tell, remind me of, I knew the story, but she would always attach a motto to it. And she would say, Doug, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go long, go together. And you might want to consider, she would say to me, moving at the pace of the children. Because if you want to go long, you go together. Kids slow you down. They really do. They demand time and bandwidth and focus, but if you want to go long, bring them along with. This year, that's a focus for our community. We're going to figure out how we're going to be doing that in very practical ways. Let me just tell you up front, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but it's going to be messy. We started doing this thing with the kids in the morning, and you've noticed today it wasn't as messy, but it's still a little messy. Uh, It'll be less messy when I figure out how to work the new screen. (laughs) But even when we master it, even when we get it totally right, it's just going to be messier if we include children. But My hope is that we are able to give to all of our children what my grandson has started feeling. I'm in the band at church and we're pretty good. <laughs> I belong here. I've got something to give. I am valued here. I belong here. Four very practical ways we're going to be doing that in this coming year. First, we're going to support our children and our teen team. Step one for that was, uh, has already happened. The board approved a budget, several stipends to help Shelby have people who can be consistent over time to show up week after week after week for birth through fifth grade. Right now, Shelby and Julie are working together on that. Uh, Thank you, all of those who sent referrals. Uh, They are following through on all of those. We are trying to find people who will love our children and love them well and be steady and uh, keep that going. I spoke to John and Lori about using monies from Sarah's uh, memorial fund to hire a program director for our teenagers, and they thought that was a great idea. Uh, That's next on our to-do list as we get through trying to consolidate what's happening with our birth through fifth grade. Um, Mariah has been loving our teens very, very well. She's been doing it before Sarah died and just taken on a double load since Sarah died, but her life is over-the-top busy. Uh, So we're going to prioritize our children and our teenagers in our budget. The the second thing we're going to do uh, next week Shelby is going to host downstairs an open house for folks who love kids because we are going to organize our volunteer roles in a way that's all very here, now, small, doable. 
Uh, churches are notorious for burning people out working with their kids. And usually that's because we don't put a high priority of the whole community on being a community that owns the children. So a few of us show up. And when we show up, oh my God, who's going to show up next week? All right, I'll show up again. We've got to work against that as a trend because we've seen that before. We don't want that to happen. Burnout is a cardinal sin in our community. So those who love kids, Shelby's going to give a tour next week after church, describe what voluntary looks like, how we might imagine doing that. Third, we're going to create space in number one C. Uh, we are creating spaces where all of us can have a role to support our children and our children's teams. Uh, ways in which we can all help at events, you know, being part of the games that we play, bringing the snacks to eat during the time, supporting those who work with the teams, being champions of those who are caring for our children. So that's the first thing we'll be doing. In many ways, we'll be supporting our children and our teenagers' teams. The second thing we'll do, I've already mentioned this one, make more of the times that we have together multi-generational. The most obvious way that you have seen since the beginning of the year is what we're doing together with music, uh, integrating our children into the music. But here's something that you should know. We did not initially start that in order to integrate our children. We started that to get you to sing because you won't sing, but if we've got kids in the room, you will sing. <laughs> That's not just us, that's an American dynamic that has happened. We have become a post-music producing society. Part of that is because we have become avid music consumers. We listen to music a lot more than we ever did, and so then when we hear our own voices coming out of our mouths, they don't sound like the music that we consume. So we just kind of gently shut it down, sing quieter or stop singing. Consequently, more and more Americans never experience the magic of how music makes community. When 50 voices join together, our unpolished voices completely stop mattering. We add to something that one another is with one another that makes us able to create community to music together and beauty together. So we're going to learn to sing, but we're going to do it with adults and with kids and with teenagers, multi-generationally beauty-creating community. Now, I've heard where Joe wants to take us. You just wait a year from now. We're about to start introducing harmony. Part of the issue with the, the song that we like, by the way, I really like that Kyrie song. But part of the issue with Kyrie is without you knowing you're learning it, you're actually learning how to sing harmony. And we're going to end up learning how we can join with uh, a lot of musical history where people learn to sing harmony together. But we're exploring more spaces than just the music space to be together intergenerationally in a fun way. Uh, Shelby is right now brainstorming ways that we can have events and games that include teenagers and parents and grandparents and families and single folks and all together in a space getting to know one another. Since the pandemic, I don't know which kids belong to which people like I always used to know. That's kind of a new phenomenon in our community. So in a few weeks, we're going to be reinstituting our rituals. You'll get to see who our children are. 
when the pandemic hit, we have four rituals that we do throughout the year, uh, each one kind of helping uh, process the life cycle that human beings go through. We've got a birth ritual. We've got a what used to be in old times surviving infant mortality ritual. Now we call it going to school ritual. And we've got a puberty ritual like a bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah in the Christian tradition, confirmation used to be, and then a leaving home ritual. We've had, and we do those as our children kind of cycle through. We've took the, uh, we took almost three years off because of the pandemic, and we're going to begin to reinstituting those with a catch-up ritual for all the kids who didn't uh, make it during those years. So we'll do that on Palm Sunday. That'll be our first one. We're going to start there with those things, with the budget, with the intergenerational spaces that we put together, and then we're going to try and integrate those into our community life. And then after we do, we're going to assess and we're going to ask ourselves the question, do we have a community-owned community? Does the community own a sense of responsibility to our children and to our teenagers? Maybe we'll end up doing more, but I suspect if we do those things, it will take us a long way to be being a community-owned community. But keep in mind, even if we get the whole thing right, Keep in mind, even if we make it very accessible and very here, now, small, doable, doing it is going to press up against a set of unseen, unarticulated, unspoken cultural sensibilities. We will be pushing into space where kids slow us down. We're pushing into space where kids are messier and noisier. And we're going to work as hard as we can to make it good for adults and for kids. But remember what I say all the time, just because a cultural value feels normal, feels true, does not make it a true enough truth, does not make it a valuable enough value. So when it gets messy, I want to encourage us to remember, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go long, go together. And also you can remember just because I think it's cute. Hey, Grandpa, I'm in the band at church, and we're pretty good. <laughs> so in Dwelling Divine, may we be a spiritual community that practices discernment well enough that we can see the cultural currents that impact us, and we can begin to stand against them when it's important and inform how we respond to those currents drawing from ancient wisdom, but also drawing from deeper wisdom. Amen. All right, so for what are you thinking, uh, we are going to just open the floor. But before we do that, um, again, get out your phones. This is We all give online now. You can point at the QR code there. Um, you can thumb tight our website, commonthreadchurch.org, slash donate. Lots of options, lots of ways to give. Uh, remember what I say all the time. What we do, and by the way, you've done this so well, is we give our time and we give our energy, we give our love, we give our dollars. The community then takes those resources, amplifies them, and gives them back to us in the form of a context, an environment in which we thrive. So thank you for being a generous community. Uh, we, you go to the website, it's as easy as can be. I'm pretty confident we're going to be able to take care of the stuff that we need to do. You saw last month we, uh, we went $9,000 in the hole, but that's not because our giving went down. That's because our expenses went up. Uh, moving into this space has really kind of, uh, it's, it's costly. It's a costly process. So 
Now, in a minute, those of you online, we're going to open the floor and talk here in the room. Uh, we're going to do what are you thinking? By the way, what are you thinking, leaders? Yeah, I didn't send you the questions because there aren't any questions today. We're just opening the floor. So you may not know online that this is one of the most important things that we do, one of the most enjoyable things we do. So you might want to tune in if you'd like to uh, overcome the resistance because who knows, somebody might be mean to you. I promise they won't. You go to the front page of our website or you go to the YouTube notes and there's a link right there. That'll take you to the, the Zoom and the password to get into the Zoom is 1417, 1417. Let's dismiss the folks online. If you would, please put your hand on your heart and let's remember as we go that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine which means love and joy and peace and patience and kindness are in us. The fruit of the Spirit is within us. And if you would extend your other hand to our city, let's look for opportunities to share what's already in us with the people that we live and work, go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. You are dismissed. The rest of us. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.